Welcome to the Focus Forward Business Podcast from SturdyMcKee.com. Hey, welcome to the Focus Forward Business Podcast. I'm Sturdy McKee, and today I'm here with Bob Hayward. Um, Bob is a consultant, speaker, and author. He's a father to four and a granddad to five so far, a Tottenham Hotspurs fan, an author of five Amazon best-selling books, and a popular international speaker. Bob has also started seven businesses, growing the largest to about 12 and a half million pounds. What's that, $15 million in today's terms or somewhere in that range? He still owns and runs two of those. And uh, Bob lives near Swindon in the UK. Welcome, Bob. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, Sturdy. Great to be here. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, thank you. Um, So let's start with you just sharing a little bit more about who you are and what you're passionate about. Well, these days I get very passionate about sharing uh, the, the lessons and the mistakes I've made uh, along the way. Uh, so I work primarily in support of other people's growth these days. I am very much a family man with uh, the four children and the five grandchildren. We get very involved in the lives of, of those grandchildren. They're a great pleasure. Everything people say about being a grandfather is just so true. It's it's a really uh, amazing thing. It's good fun running the two businesses that I have. Uh, one of them is about industrial training skills, regulated training. And we're using mm-hmm. that as a pathway to employment to help other people get them off of benefits and into work. The main business is the consultancy where I hopefully help other people grow their businesses. Cool, cool. So you've talked about the profit secret. I want to know why you call profit a secret and what what is the secret yeah well <laughs> I, the proposal really is that profit is a forgotten part of a sales process that kind of makes all the difference both to the okay. customer and to the to the business you know, too often when we get wrapped up in trying to grow the business trying to grow the sales we get wrapped up in the vanity of winning an order almost at any cost. And just because many prospects hit us with that price objection, it's probably one of the most common. It's one that most salespeople uh, are quite concerned about, if not scared of. And, you know, we get beaten up as business people, as salespeople, we get beaten up. I need it cheaper. Give me your bottom price. Give me, give me your, your best and final offer. And actually, that's a real problem because you know if we're selling on vanity, we could be causing ourselves a real problem. Now, my definition of selling is a process of enabling a prospect to discover a pressing need and a relevant matching solution of value to them, which is profitable to us. Mm-hmm. So I totally resist this insistence that it's all about the price. For me, it's all about the value and the profit. If I can give you huge value and deliver that, then I'm entitled to make a profit. And in fairness, you probably won't notice. So for many people, they leave profit out of the equation. They don't put enough value into the proposition. So why would anybody pay for it? And we end up racing to the bottom with price. Well, yeah, I was, well, and so I was on a call yesterday, a sales call, not me selling, potentially buying. 
I was ready to buy, right? But the mm-hmm. solution didn't quite fit. And I'm asking, and it drove me nuts, Bob. I actually told the guy, tell me yes or no. Can it do this? Though there's a time and I have the, you know, telling stories and stuff. I'm like, the fact that you're not telling me yes means it's no. And uh-huh. he kind of stopped. And I'm like, dude, it doesn't matter what the price is. It doesn't matter what the deal is. If what your solution doesn't solve my problem, right? I'm very clear on what the issue is and what I want in a solution. Hmm. Can it do hmm. that? And I'm willing to pay, you know, if it can. And in their case, it didn't It didn't match up. So that's a whole nother thing, right? In the sales process, I, li- I love what you're saying about selling because it's matching that solution to the to the customer, the client's problem, right? I can solve Absolutely. your problem. Yeah. Yeah. If, if there is no need, there is no such. <clears throat> and it has well, to be then, a pressing need. There has to be a cost of doing right. nothing. Otherwise, that's what about 66% Ooh. of prospects do. Um, well, what we're talk about that for a second, man- though. I love that. Go on then. Pause and listen for a second. The cost of doing nothing. All right. That that's yeah. huge. So Bob, Bob, run with that. Well, you know, so often when we're pitching to prospects, they get, well, I need to think about it. Now, if if there's no impending event on their side that's gonna make them make a decision, then most of us, come on, admit it. Most of us, if we can, we'll put the decision off. If I've got to part with thirty thousand pounds of my hard-earned money, or a hundred thousand, or a million pounds, whatever the price is, you know, I, I'm not going to do it unless I have to. So you've got two things that will tip the balance in your favour. One of them is called an impending event on my side. I don't have any choice. I've got to do it. The no. other is to help the prospect understand there is a cost in doing nothing. So the longer they delay the decision, the more it costs them. Because if right. your solution's actually adding value to their business or their life, they're without that value if they don't make the decision. That's a great point. That's a great point. And they can literally, literally be losing out in the meantime without the, the thing that's going to solve their current problem or challenge. Absolutely. I've got a client who... Um, sells um, shelters which cover industrial waste or aggregates. Now, if mm. if you're recycling cardboard and your cardboard's out in the open and it gets wet, because, by the way, in the UK it rains a fair bit, <laughs> then your, car- your cardboard's absolutely rubbish to sell. You can't make much money out of wet cardboard. You've got to dry the stupid That's stuff. compost, right? <laughs> You gotta try or, or if you're a tar if your aggregate is wet, you gotta dry it before you can give it to the guys who want to put it on the roads and turn it sure. into tarmac for the roads. It costs you a huge amount of money. So if you don't cover your aggregate or your cardboard, you're literally spending money now. And um, but most of us don't think about that. We go, yeah, but your shelter's costing sixty thousand pounds. I don't know if I can afford it at the moment. Well, how much money are you wasting at the moment? drying aggregate or drying cardboard or selling it cheap because it's wet that is costing you money now and if you add that up over the next six months that's way more than the 60 grand for the shelter so buying the shelter saves you money makes you money that's the cost of doing nothing right 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 no totally um and there's so many analogs to that in different industries 
right? Whether it's a bad contract or it's, uh, you know, not taking advantage of the marketing opportunity and attracting people. Yeah, it, all of it. Hiring, just going down the list in my head. Sorry, getting distracted. <laughs> um, so, so I, I mean, I just mentioned marketing real quick, but tell, tell us about that. So a lot of businesses believe that growth comes from producing more leads and inquiries. Um, what, what are your thoughts around that? Well, just, yeah, there's this issue around volume. You know, volume solves all problems. So volume of leads, you'd think, actually, mm. if you chuck a whole bunch of new leads into your sales process, your CRM, then that, that you should be able to grow the company. There is a challenge with that, though, because all leads are not equal. You know, too often mm. we're actually chasing the wrong prospects. So, you know, we have... We have companies in the UK which are kind of discount retailers. You know, I, I freely admit that my consultancy is reasonably expensive. I don't go after the discount retailers because they're going to just ask me to drop my prices. That's that's the way they operate. They're all about cost down. I'm I'm about putting the value up. And every business probably attracts accidentally, unintentionally, plenty of the wrong prospects. So if we get too many leads from the wrong type of people, that could kill us. Now, I've got a client, I won't name them for you know sensible reasons. They lost yeah. their third biggest customer, their third biggest customer because of poor response times. Now, this customer was netting them about half a million pounds GP per year, and they lost them. Why did they lose them? Because the boss insisted that every lead was followed up relentlessly, no matter how tiny. So all the sales staff and the customer service staff were chasing down big leads and small leads and put-offs and stalls. And they spent so much time trying to chase down what I would say is irrelevant leads that they didn't respond properly to their biggest customer. They just... The customer left. It was a huge, huge problem. Yeah, one of my other clients is a stonemason, and they make, um, they turn stone into like tiles that go into huge shopping centres and malls, and mm. they go into big residential buildings and offices. And they used to have a trade counter, and Joe Public would turn up and want one or two offcuts. Now sure. that was causing them a problem because they wanted to do hundreds of tiles, not break a stone into two or deal with an offcut. So the boss there was very clever. He separated the two businesses, put the trade counter into the town center with its own kind of shop front. And in his first year, that had a million pounds in offcuts. And he stopped all the interruptions, all the low value leads stopped going to his big companies, big premises. Both companies became far more profitable by dividing them up, but put them together the small leads that wanted two tiles was costing the big side of the company loads of money. So more leads is not the answer. We need high quality leads. And if you can get a marketing qualification to closure rate of a significant conversion ratio, that's because you have really high quality leads. I mean, so many businesses survive on one or two or three or maybe even 10% of a closing rate from a marketing qualified lead. Mm. We want to work it much harder than that. 
get that up get better quality leads don't get more quantity well let's talk about you you said another thing earlier on in that <laughs> that uh portion sorry right? steady you got uh, me all passionate <laughs> I was going to say diatribe, but I, I didn't want to. Um, <laughs> so, no, awesome. So cost down versus value up, right? What the, I see this all the time. People are like, what kind of discount should I give? Like, don't give a discount. Don't give a discount. Oh, right? it's in the mentality. Right. Oh, oh discounts just cost us so much. We don't realize, you know, if you, if you have a, a selling price of, I don't know, $100 and mm -hmm. you make $15 profit on it and right. you give a 5% discount, then, you know, in theory, you make $10. But actually, your profit has reduced by 33%. Right. So by giving a 5% discount, depending on your gross profit margin, you could give away a huge amount. That means you've got to sell 33% more, if you like, just to stand mm -hmm. still. Why would right. you do that? So well, how does this? So for those folks who are listening, right, if you're like facing something or thinking about, and Bob just mentioned a 5% discount, right? But I see people say, oh, well, it needs to be 10 or 20. If you give a 20% discount on it and you have a 15% margin, you've suddenly gone into the red, Yeah. right? So, so instead of that, what if you could not give a 20% discount, but instead provide 20% more value? What could you do for your clients or customers? What could, what could you do from the experience side of things to enhance the value that you're offering? Absolutely. I mean, if we actually get this formula right, there's no reason mm -hmm. if your normal price is $100 <clears throat> that you can't sell at $120 and you just turn this problem on its head. So. You know, I would say that we don't get to the value because we don't dig enough for the need. And now mm -hmm. in my world, prescription before diagnosis is called malpractice. And too often, from a salesman's point of view, we don't diagnose properly. We prescribe. We go, yeah, this has these features and it has this benefits, feature benefit, feature benefit. Oh, well, it sounds a bit expensive. All right, I'll give you a discount. Yeah, but I'm not interested. Okay, I'll give you another discount. I'm still not interested. They're not interested because we didn't diagnose the need. Right. This if was yesterday. Right. <laughs> if you get the need right, then, <clears throat> then you can go, does this hurt? And they go, yeah, that really hurts. Don't poke me there. That really hurts. Well, right. okay. If you don't call, if you don't solve this problem, how long is it going to continue to hurt? Well, it'll just carry on hurting. How long you had this pain already? Six months? Ten months? Yeah, the whole year. Wow. That's right. cost you a lot of money, hasn't it? Right. And what's it keeping you from doing? Absolutely. Right. right. I mean, we wouldn't go to a doctor. Well, maybe some of us would. You Like with a broken leg, and we've had the broken leg for 12 months, and we kind of put off the decision to get the leg fixed. I mean, come on. We wouldn't do it, but most of us wouldn't. But that's what many prospects do, often because, bless salespeople, the salespeople is not brave enough to ask the diagnostic question, get to the pain, twist the arm a little bit or the leg a little bit so it hurts a bit more, 
and convince the person rightly, authentically, genuinely, if you don't fix this, it's going to carry on hurting. Right. Do you want to fix it or not? So uh, to re- to restate one of the things you said, the nugget of wisdom here too, we don't get to the value because we don't diagnose the need fully. So how yeah, do we... I'm... Yeah. Sorry, Sturdy, I interrupted you there. You're going to ask oh, me a no, question. We don't get to the value because we don't diagnose the need fully. So if we don't know what the individual needs what their goals are, what their new, you know, what their current state is, is their diagnosis, right? Where mm-hmm. they want to get to is their goal or their need. What happens if they don't do that? What's That's where the value piece comes in, whether that's literally diagnostic and treatment or whether that's, you know, selling shelters for aggregate. Yeah, absolutely. You see, the yeah. sale is made in the pain of the present not the benefits of the future. And too many of us as salespeople, we get kind of excited about the future. We get excited about the benefits of our products. And we forget of going, that's not going to be the reason this person makes the decision. The person's going to make the decision because it hurts too much. You know, it's it's like the old story of the dog sitting on a wooden porch. um, And, you know, that's his favorite spot. And he's, he's actually sitting on a nail. And every now and again, he howls. Uh, and, you know, the visitor says, "Why, hey, old man, why doesn't your dog move? Because uh, he's obviously sitting on a nail. He's yelling every now and again. And the old man says, I, I guess it doesn't hurt that much. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's where it is. If, if we're not going to really get people to recognize the pain <clears throat> of the price, they ain't going to get off the pot. I'm sorry. And it doesn't matter what price we offer them. We've got to get to the pain or there's no sale. Well, there's no value. Absolutely. So we're talking about value and pain and price and that kind of stuff. But um, where do relationships and trust play into this? Well, you know, you could rightly say that, you know, if there is no need, there is no sale. You'd also be right to say there if there's no trust, there is no sale. So Mm -hmm. trust building skills are hugely important because why would you tell anybody how much this hurts if you didn't trust them? Right. If if I cannot build rapport and trust sufficiently that you feel comfortable that I am authentically going to help you, I'm not actually there to sell you anything. I'm there to see if you've got a problem. And if you've got a relevant problem with a relevant need and I've got a matching solution then i'll help you discover both i I am not gonna pitch i'm gonna ask i'm gonna build rapport i'm gonna build trust i'm gonna use people skills i'm gonna use questioning skills i'm gonna use listening skills all those are way more important than selling skills way more important than product knowledge you know, one of the greatest books I read, I think, on selling was a, was a great book called The 99 Mistakes That Great Salespeople Make. And there's a survey in there of over a hundred, uh, over a thousand prospects. And he identified that the competency of the person you're interacting with, the relationship you've got, is the most important thing to the prospect. It's hugely important. Because if you haven't got that trust, they are never going to open up 
and then you're never going to know what really hurts. So you can't add the value. It it all begins with trust, Sturdy. Well, so Bob, you just said something else. 99 mistakes that great salespeople make. That brings up the whole idea that we're we're all making mistakes. So sorry, I don't know if you can hear that. My dog is now digging on her bed. Um, <laughs> she's all restless. But usually she's so mellow and quiet during these. It's fine. Anyway, but 99 mistakes, that great, <laughs> 99 mistakes that great salespeople make. It's great salespeople making these mistakes. It's not novice uh, salespeople, right? Oh, absolutely. If you're a great salesperson, you, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to keep trying and keep learning. We fail forwards. You know, um, uh, Babe Ruth, you know, one of the greatest uh, baseball players of all times, talks about, you know, having a, a significantly, if not the most ever home runs. He also boasted that he had the most uh, the most at the time um, holdouts where he, he get um i've forgotten the phrase and not being american sorry sturdy strikeouts um, strikeouts <laughs> he's got the he's he's got the greatest number of strikeouts as well because he kept swinging the bat so you know we as salespeople are there's a link between kind of the more difficult or challenging questions we're prepared to ask and our results and if we're not prepared to ask the more difficult questions and go back on things then we're definitely not going to make uh, as much progress as we could. I mean, there's there's no real research on how many times you should go back to a prospect who keeps saying no to you. There's a couple of blogs written by lots of different people, but when I've dug into it, I could never find the empirical research. But it kind of is obvious that if you give up the first time somebody says no, you're, you're going to struggle. I mean, that's just one of the mistakes. Talking too much is one of the other biggest complaints prospects have. And, and most of us, including me, have a habit of talking too much, and we, we learn need to learn to to temper that. Actually, the average salesperson probably doesn't make as many mistakes as the great salesperson because they don't try hard enough. They don't work. <laughs> it. They right. don't risk it. That's why the average. Right. Right. So when you're trying harder, you're going to risk things. You're going to make more blunders, right? Uh, well, I, I believe so. You're pushing the envelope. If if, yeah. if you're trying to find out how far you can go, you're pushing the envelope. Um, if you're average, you're not pushing the envelope. That would be my simple explanation of it. And if you're pushing the envelope, you're going to make a few whoopsies. So, now, so you just mentioned something you do it with else. Humility, if you do it with humility, you probably won't really crash and burn. Right, right. No, but you'll but you'll learn and move forward with that. You'll learn. Yeah. yeah. Love that. Okay. So what is the single most important question a salesperson can ask? And by salesperson, wow. by the way, I want to stop and say anybody offering a solution, right? So this could be the front desk yeah. person at the doctor's office. This could be the physician themselves or the physical therapist or whoever. This could be, you know, the person giving you an estimate on your roofing whatever what what what's the most important question they should ask yeah it, it's a fascinating question you've asked the single most important question any of us can ask when we're trying to influence another person well if you think about it sales 
influence, persuasion, negotiation, whatever you want to call it, is a process. It's a journey. And therefore, really what I've got to get my prospect to do is take the next step. So in asking them to take a fair and reasonable step, I've got to work out what value that step will add to them, regardless of whether they become a client in the end and spend money. So the most important question we can ask is how do I make the next step an obviously sensible value adding step for the prospect to take, regardless of whether they decide to buy in the end? Right, and right. too many of us are focused on closing and getting the exchange of money. There's loads of steps before that. And we don't think about that step having features and that step having benefits, that that step's got to have value in it. It's like asking for a meeting. You know, most of us as salespeople want a Teams call or a Zoom call or a face-to-face -face call with a right. prospect. So we me, ask right? them for the meeting. Yeah, we ask them for the meeting, but we don't right. think of, Okay, so I'm going to take an hour of your time. What value am I going to give you regardless of whether you buy from me? Because if if I can convince you that that hour will pay you more than that hour costs you, it's a no-brainer. Why would you not give me the meeting? Right. The reason we don't get meetings is because we don't put any value in the meeting for the prospect regardless of whether they buy. So for me, for me the most important question anybody could ask is, what have I got to do for you to make the next step a no-brainer? No, I love that. And then what well, I'm thinking about the meeting thing, what's even worse is we've spent time, you know, creating value, but we don't communicate it effectively. Right? So yeah, the, the, absolutely. The, the, the potential client, the prospect, like, <clears throat> yes, the you know, my discovery calls, right? I'm just thinking about this. Discovery calls, strategy calls, what have you. Um mm. They're going to walk away with a lot more value than what you know than the time invested. If we decide yeah. to work together going forward, that's great. But that's not. I mean, obviously, that is an objective for me over time. I want. I mean, I need sure. clients, right? We need patients. We need yeah. customers. We need, you know. Um, but when it's coming from a perspective of giving, of creating value, of making sure that the time, you know, and effort invested in that pays you back tenfold you're kind of i mean you're doing two things number one you feel really good about setting the meetings right because they're walking away with mm. something great and they feel good about the meeting and you're much more likely to you know close the customer client eventually if that's how you're approaching it right yeah yeah it's, I, I love that yeah what, whatever the step is whatever the <clears throat> step is Right. That we're asking the person to take. You know, it's like asking somebody to do us a favor. You've got to give them a because. You know, can you do this right. for me because? There's right. got to be a reason. It's it's not polite to say, you know, can you do this for me full stop? We normally would be polite and say, could you do this because? Well, it's the same thing. It's the same formula. If I'm going to ask you to take a next step on a journey with me to become a customer, hopefully, I need to make it a no-brainer. And we as salespeople, business people, we're too lazy 
we don't think in terms of the other person's self-interest. We're thinking about us and how we get the prospect to become a customer as fast as possible. Well, stop thinking about closing the stale and start thinking about how every step in the journey could add significant value to the prospect. That doesn't have to cost you a fortune. If it adds value, far more people will go on that journey with you. Right, right. No, I, I love that. And then you're making me think too, you said we're lazy, <clears throat> but there are different kinds of laziness, right? Because a lot mm. of a lot of salespeople, a lot of clinical people, a lot of, um, I mean, a lot of workers, they're not lazy in that they're doing activities, they're busy, they're, but, but there's a mental laziness that you just brought up about not thinking from the other person's perspective, not thinking about what's going to truly bring them value. So we go through the motions and we stay busy all day, right? And that's a, yeah, there are different kinds of laziness there. That's very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'm being disrespectful. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, I I don't think it's disrespectful at all. I think it really calls out that idea that we've got to lift the clutch, right? We've got to put our brains in gear and actually dig down a little bit more. Exactly right. It is the brain. I would say neck down, we're worth about three or four hundred dollars a week. Neck up, we're worth <laughs> neck up, we're worth an absolute fortune. Now I know there are some sports people who can do neck down and make make millions, but for most of us, um, us humble non-athletes, it's the brain that makes the difference. It's that bit that's the lazy bit. Uh, now for, for me, uh, bit success in business is a simple formula. It's doing the right things well enough and often enough now we can be doing the wrong things at an exceptional pace and working incredibly hard they're the wrong things we're going in the wrong direction it's not going to help we could just be getting leads that have no value chasing them down hard discounting discounting we're not going to make a profitable business and have a good lifestyle no we've got to do the right things well enough and often enough and that does take brain power it does take thought if you're going to add real value and make a profit you have to think really hard both about the prospects world to identify the pain and about how you can solve it in a different way and you you don't have to be the best you definitely don't have to be the cheapest you just have to be different enough and be able to communicate that difference and link it with their unique pain. Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, so last thing I'll ask you here, uh, well, and I'm going to make a quick comment. You said that neck down, <clears throat> they don't have to, you know, the athletes and whatever. I think San, I mean, you're a Spurs fan, right? Yeah. He, thinking on the field all the time, right? There's a... There's a harmony between the two. You got to, you know, the top players anyway, you're going to see that. Um, but anyway, so what's the easiest way to grow your number of customers? Well, that, that's a good question. You know, there's a, I, I really admire a, a guy in the States. There's a guy called Bob Bodine, who's a, a, an executive search guy. He's, he works very hard in the sports industry, lots of NFL and baseball and basketball teams and general management have have benefited from his expertise. He's written a great book called The Power of Who. And the who is the people that you know, that you know them already. And Bob 
Bob, well, I had lunch with Bob in December when I was over in 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 the states. I went to see him in Dallas, and mm-hmm. uh, so I had breakfast with him. I nearly told a mistruth there. I had breakfast with him at his country club, and, and we had about three hours. And I was listening to the guy, and and, and I may he has a you know a significant business in the executive search world. He's done oh. some incredible things, and he, you know he said, "I won't." Uh, go and present a pitch unless I'm referred. I won't go and ask for business unless I'm already referred in. I said, Bob, that's crazy. Come on. He said, well, why would I go and pitch if I don't have a referral? Because maybe I've only got a 50% chance of winning the business. He said, if I get a referral, I've got an 80 to 90% chance of getting the business. I'm only going to go when I'm referred. And I work incredibly hard at the power of who and he calls it the 140 so the 40 are your fantasy prospects the businesses you'd really like to work with because they're large enough and profitable enough and they would really make a difference to you and bob suggests that you already know maybe as many as 100 people and many of those 100 have a a route to the 40 that you fantasize about now, many of us are on LinkedIn and we can see some of those connections, but we're not brave enough to leverage them. You know, our wealth is contained in our network and our knowledge, but we only enjoy it if we leverage it. And this is what Bob Bodine talks about in The Power of Who. That if right. we go and ask our 100 raving fans, if we go and ask the people that really love us, then they will bring us an introduction or even introduce us. Last year, my company picked up 15 new clients. We didn't lose any. We picked up 15 new clients who paid us. Ten of them came from raving fans who sent people to us. We didn't have to go after them. The other five came from the power of who? We asked some fans if they would introduce us. They said yes. They sent the email and linked me in. We ended up with the work and um, none, none of them challenged the price. That is awesome. So that is the easiest way to grow the business. You already know everyone you need to know to build your business as large and as profitable as you wish. Get hold of a book called The Power of Who. It's superb. Turns networking on its head. Awesome. Great recommendation. Thank you so much. Um, well, thank you so much for being here today, Bob. How can people get in touch with you if they if they want? The website is bemoreeffective.com. Pretty easy. Three words, be more effective, which means we're pretty good at what we do. Uh, another way would be to search for Bob Hayward on LinkedIn. So if you use the typical kind of LinkedIn slash in and put Bob Hayward at the end of that and you'll find me. You'll find it awesome. Or you could go on Amazon and buy the book, The Profit Secret. (laughs) That works too. Thank you so much. Any other thoughts you want to leave us with before we wind down? Uh, There are so many. Uh, I think one of the most important things we could do, one of the most important things we do is to uh, misspell the word cry. And it's C R. I rather than C-R-Y. Whatever you do, build credibility. That's the C. 
relevance, that's the R, and importance at all stages. Whatever you're doing in a sales and marketing process, work on building credibility, relevance, and importance, which is another word for value. I needed an I or a Y, and I couldn't come up with a Y, and I didn't want to put a V at the end of CRV. Um, so I misspell the word cry, credibility, relevance, and importance. Or value. I love it. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Bob. I really, really appreciate it. Great discussion. A real honor and pleasure, my friend. Lovely to be with you. Thanks. And thanks, everybody, for listening to the Focus Forward Business Podcast. Thank you for listening.